So we're sitting, you know, in that room and talking out a the customer problem that we're trying to solve, as well as whether that problem is best solved through interaction, visual, product development, or content. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Intuit is a 36-year-old company. They have different digital products, such as QuickBooks and TurboTax. In the States, those platforms are very common for business owners and people that manage their finance. I was very curious about Intuit, and I know that they did a huge transformation in the past few years. They moved from being just like a native desktop app to a cloud-based uh, platform. And I know this is a huge change for many uh, tech giants. And I had a chance to speak with uh, Steven Kioren, their content designer, and I talked with him about his processes and how user research looks like on Intuit. And it was fascinating. So uh, enjoy this episode. Don't forget to follow our weekly newsletter on uxwritinghub.com. That's about it. Enjoy. So today we're having a special guest. He is working as a lead UX writer at Intuit. Intuit is a company that holds many, many uh, very famous products like Mint and like QuickBooks and TurboTax. And uh, I'm very excited to have him, him and talk with him about all of the complications of designing content for products like those. Welcome, Steven. Steven Curran, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Nice to be here. So our listeners are very curious about how to get into UX writing in general. So what's your background? I came to UX writing somewhat organically. I came from a newspaper journalism background going back a few years. So I started there and then transitioned into tech working in kind of different copywriting, marketing, internal communications roles, and having a chance along the way to try out UX writing and found that that, that really spoke to my kind of my interest in my background the best is the ability to empathize with people and to talk with people and to, you know, kind of tell a story. And that part of it appealed to me was was kind of speaking directly to a customer and helping to shape a product that fits their needs. Nice. And Intuit is a very big uh, company. Uh, how many writers do you have in uh, Intuit? I work in QuickBooks. I struggle to come up with a number for all of Intuit, but I want to say, um, I know we have several dozen at least at QuickBooks based in Mountain View where I am. And then we have country leads in the UK, Australia, France, and South America. Well, how many people are there in the company, more or less? All told, give or take, about 10,000. Wow. Got it. That's big numbers. Cool. So a few dozens of writers. So, And you work for QuickBooks. So how does a collaboration working for QuickBooks look like when working with other writers? When working with other writers, we're part of a larger content team. So we report into a content director, reports into a VP of design. So we're, we're a vert- vertical function within QuickBooks. So we partner with our product managers, our interaction, our visual designers, but we are kind of a standalone function embedded within them. So as far as how we collaborate with each other, you know, within our teams, we have what are known as voice and tone leads. So we make sure that we're working and speaking and writing with one voice so that we're all 
know, when the customer comes in, it all sounds like QuickBooks. We stay in touch that way. We don't collaborate as much kind of in our day-to-day work, but we're collaborating kind of across the, the organization to make sure that we're, we're all speaking with one voice, whether we're working on, in my case, it's QuickBooks payroll. In a, um, some of my colleagues, is it's QuickBooks payments or QuickBooks capital or QuickBooks self-employed and so on. So we want to make sure that the customer is feels like they're interacting with the same voice across that entire ecosystem. So now I will explain a little bit for the listeners a little bit about QuickBooks from what I know. And I might be wrong here, but QuickBooks is a software that allows you to manage your, like if you have a small business, freelance, uh, it helps you to manage your uh, like accountant documents, right? Correct. We have products for both small businesses and self-employed customers. So small and medium-sized businesses, I should say. So our, our core customers are really in that kind of 50 or fewer employees. And of course, you know, self-employed is a growing segment as well. Just the number of freelance folks uh, branching out on their own is definitely a, a growing segment. That's cool. And Intuit is, is a company that was around for years, from the 80s, I think. Yeah, 1983. <laughs> And had many, many changes going from being a native desktop app to the cloud. It became like an online version in the last few years, I assume, right? Right. Yeah, we've transitioned uh, largely to uh, to being a cloud-based software company. That's cool. So what are the main challenges when writing and designing for QuickBooks Payroll? Yeah, I think one of the exciting challenges is just making sure that we're speaking our customers' language and that we're meeting them where they are. You know, as, as we were just talking about, you know, it is a very evolving segment. So that's one of the things that's really embedded in into its DNA is, is that customer focus, is keeping in touch and really making sure that you're understanding the customer. So we do that through, you know, frequent customer interviews. We, we do that through, you know, visiting customers at their in their offices or their job sites and just you know watching them interact with the product so being kind of putting your ego aside and putting that that prototype up there and, and watching them you know kind of narrate you know their first impressions what they expect to happen what is happening what they're reading what they're seeing really all really all of it so you know they it's it can be really informative watching watching a customer either interact both whether that means stumbling over something that you've created or being delighted by something you've created. I think that's both a challenge and an exciting opportunity working at QuickBooks is just making sure that we're meeting the customer where they are. That makes so much sense. When you are going to your users' offices, so when you test, so usually you test the content by itself or new type of designs or just the prototypes? We try to share you know, as fully, you know, realized a prototype as we can. Usually, usually that's an envision, but it's, we want to make sure that the customer is seeing something that's a very close approximation to what they might see in the product. So that includes content and, and the design. So I work, you know, as a content designer at Intuit, the way we typically or ideally work is that we're embedded early on with our design partners. So we're sitting, you know, in that room and talking out, A, the customer problem that we're trying to solve, as well as whether that problem is best solved through interaction, visual, product development, or content. So ideally, really having that discussion early on to shape a point of view on this is a content problem versus an interaction problem um, versus a product problem. So that by the time it, it comes before the customer, we've thought that through and established our own point of view and that the customer then has a, an opportunity to, to challenge our, our assumptions, so to speak. 
Mm -hmm. Did you have one of those aha moments in one of those interviews when you figure out something like had some kind of a better idea for a solution based on uh, that? Uh... Without going into too much detail, I know that we had one recently where that one of the, you know, as UX writers, one of the things I think we all strive for is to be, you know, to be delightful, to introduce those micro interactions, those moments of delight. And I know that we were working with my design partners that we thought we'd come up with this really delightful interaction um, for this one product. And this one, this one interaction with QuickBooks Payroll, we put it in front of customers and it just fell completely flat. It was just not the right amount of delight. They weren't looking to be delighted at that particular <laughs> point in the, the interaction. They, they just wanted the information. And we found that again and again. So it was an interesting learning for us that we actually ended up dialing it back and going back to a really straightforward, kind of just the facts approach. And we found that in a couple of cases because it, we're dealing with small business owners and we're dealing with, with self-employed people that delighting kind of at the right moment or delighting when it's right, as we say it into it, is making sure that we're respecting the fact that, you know, for our customers, this is off, you know, this is their livelihood, that this is often their money on money on the line and their their future on the line. So we want to make sure that we're respecting that and we're not doing anything, you know, that if we are attempting delight, that we're doing it in the right way at the right time. Right. How will you avoid next time or which kind of lesson that you had that now you know better how to approach that kind of situation? You know, I think that was an experience where we wanted to make sure that, making sure that we're delighting when it's right. Not saying that delight isn't the right way to go. It obviously is when appropriate, but we want to make sure that what we think is delightful is what the customer thinks is delightful. Do you have some kind of user journey map in which you try to map the emotions on different types of uh, interactions with the interface of uh, QuickBook uh, Payroll? Yeah, we've done that for a few of our products. We do that a lot with our first-time use interactions. So as, as customers are getting set up with QuickBooks Payroll, especially since that can be really with any payroll product, that can be a very stressful interaction just because there's you know, there are tax implications to, to what you're setting up and, and everything along those lines. So we definitely have created customer journey maps along those and emotion kind of emotion maps for those interactions. A lot of those maps are informed by the customer interviews we do. So we're talking with them and understanding how they're feeling at different points in the interaction and then kind of mapping that out. Mm -hmm. We're starting talking about different kinds of research that you're doing, like you're going to the offices mm -hmm. of your users. Is there any other research methods that maybe our listeners could learn? You know, we have our UX research team. So they're often embedded with us as well to do kind of in-product surveys, to do qualitative and quantitative surveys beforehand to make sure that we're understanding what the pain is before we start in a, in a more quantitative way. You know, in, in addition, we do beyond just going to their workplaces and watching them interact with the actual live product, we're putting, as a team, we put out the prototypes for them to click through and narrate on video conferences as well. So it's, you know, just kind of a little bit of role playing. So having them Imagine that they're, that they're using this for the first time, telling us what they expect to happen, what is happening, how they're feeling, just kind of getting that, that realistic narration. In some cases, we do that with dozens of customers, so enough to where we can start really getting. And that's how we learned about our, had that delight uh, moment, was making sure that we're understanding what we're hearing over and over again. And how do you collect that data and uh, iterate on that? Do you have kind of weekly kickoffs based on the research data and 
you know, we definitely include the product manager in that as well. So the product manager often will synthesize that, work with us to kind of determine the direction moving forward, depending on where we at in our process. You know, that's often when we'll share what we've learned with the senior leaders um, in the company to make sure that they're aligned with what we're hearing and that, you know, we're not, there's no disconnect um, as the product takes shape. We're starting talking a little bit about the design tools like Envision, and I was also going to your subdomain of content design into it. And I've seen that you're working with tools like Abstract and Sketch and Zeppelin. So let's say that right now there is a writer and a new UX writer, and they want to apply to Intuit. So which kind of tools would you expect them to kind of master? To be honest, it depends a lot on the designer's preferences. And so I know I work a lot in Figma, for example, because a lot of my designers work in Figma. You know, some of my designers, again, depends on where we are in our process. Sometimes I'll just be working in just a regular Google Doc, just kind of doing a little bit more free form exploration that way. So it depends a lot on where we are in the process. And I think it's less about being, at least on our team, it's less about being wedded to one tool or being, you know, intimately familiar with one tool than it is just being comfortable pivoting as as you need to and being a seat at the table. So making sure that you're not just writing in boxes when a, a designer hands over their work. So making sure that you're working in collaboration kind of early and often. So uh, yes, so everything will be in the right context. So. Exactly. And it's a very feedback-driven culture. So you, know, you want to make sure that you have that relationship and you have that interaction with both your designers and your, your product management partners that you know, you're offering feedback on on their work. They're offering feedback on yours to just make sure that, you know, again, that everyone's on the same page and, and the product is better for it. I really love the fact that you are using Figma, Steven, because as I see Figma, it's like a lot of teams haven't adopted it yet. And I feel like uh, they should because it's like the Google Docs of the designers, right? Right. <laughs> and in your process, when you go into a Figma file, for example, okay, so how skill do you think a writer should be when it comes to operating a design tool like Figma? I guess that probably depends a lot on the organization. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about our team is that our team of UX writers or content designers comes from a pretty wide variety of backgrounds. So the comfort levels as, you know, as a result of that differs quite a bit. So I think in terms of how comfortable content designers should be working in those tools, I think that's where being a little bit more flexible in just how they approach their work, how they get to their work makes sense. So for some, I work with some who they want to be in the tool. They can only work in, in that tool. They can only kind of do the best work they can if they can visualize it as they're working. Others, and I'm probably a little bit more on this spectrum myself, others tend to like to kind of go see the design, see where it's headed, see the evolution, but then kind of explore in a, in a more white space kind of environment. So I think it really, again, comes down to just individual comfort level and whatever it takes to get you to your best work. Specifically, when you're doing it, you feel comfortable, you can go to the design file, we create the content over there, right? Correct. You know, in some cases, there'll be, you know, once we've, the designers and I have sat in a room and kind of looked over the designs and, you know, they've had a chance to tweak it as necessary, we can talk through what we're trying to convey at each point and, you know, whether it's a design challenge or a content challenge from that point then i can start plugging in content at various points and getting a sense for how it's going to look and feel you know in some cases that means going back to the designer and saying 
now that I've had a chance to look at this and add content at the points we discussed, I'm thinking maybe we don't need content here at all. I mean, that ends up being half of my job is just saying that maybe we don't need content here at all. Maybe this is something that, that we need to solve visually or we need to solve through the interaction. And then in some cases, it's maybe it's we're just overcomplicating the product. I mean, that can be a challenge in itself is wanting to overcorrect and make sure that you're addressing every single edge case as opposed to making choices in favor of simplicity. Mm-hmm. Do you have a method to map those kind of edge cases? Yeah, we do. That's where we work a lot with our product development partners as well to um, to understand the use or the edge cases as they're kind of as they're discovered and as we get a chance to release to you know smaller beta users and that kind of thing. So it's making sure that that we're in touch with them and understanding those edge cases as they come up and addressing them as you know as best they can and kind of getting that understanding between what's an edge case and what's you know what's a more significant interaction challenge that we need to solve. So I also want to know just a little bit about A-B testing, but not going to uh, your user's office. But if, for example, you have some kind of assumption or hypothesis that you want to test something to see if it works or not, do you have some kind of an access to test it yourself or you need to go with, through a developer and submit it to a developer and only then test it? Yeah, if it's a true A-B test, then we will work with the development team to launch that. If it's something a little bit scrappier, so you know, something we're still testing kind of before it goes live, we'll, we rely a lot on you know, user testing, which ha- actually happens to be across the street from Intuit. Usertesting.com? Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. If we're still in the design phase, we do a lot through that tool. We get some really, some really helpful feedback from that. But we do a fair amount of A-B testing more directionally than kind of one word here and there. To the listeners that don't know about usertesting.com, so usertesting.com is a platform that you can submit your assumptions or submit some kind of a test that you want to do, and they will curate relevant users and then do the test for you when you will budget it for them. And if it's next to your office, I guess it makes life much easier as well. Yeah, it's just a... Funny irony. <laughs> right. That's cool. Yeah, I remember the, the question that I wanted to ask before because I asked so many questions about design <laughs> tools and Figma and all of those things. And the reason I, I, want, I want to explain why I asked because there is a lot of writers in our audience that want to get into UX writing or maybe are doing UX writing today and mm-hmm. they are kind of frightened from using uh, design tools because it's a little bit overwhelming for them, okay. even though it shouldn't be. And yeah, and they still communicate better with their designers, but they're right. still working with like screenshots on Google Slides or screenshots on uh, Google Docs, which is also one way to communicate. And I use that way to communicate also on, on my projects as well. But it's really, I'm really interested to listen how they solve it in company like Intuit with the collaborative tool like Figma or just writers that know how to operate a design tool as Sketch. And that topic makes me personally very excited. I'm a product designer, by the way, myself. Right. And my mission is to improve the collaborations between designers and writers. And I'm very happy also to learn that it seems like your team is very advanced, much more than many other teams in the world. Yeah, I was excited when I joined the team to find that the content design function really is fully embedded and, and integrated into the design process. So, you know, like I said, we're, we're in the room early with the product managers and the designers 
helping to shape out or to understand the problem that we're trying to solve or the challenge we're trying to solve, and then working through and brainstorming and testing what the best way to solve that problem is. I mean, that's that's one of the things I know when I talk to candidates and to new people at, at Intuit is a little bit of a change in mindset that, I mean, you are a UX writer, but you're also a designer. So you're also, you know, you're also there to design the content. You're a co-equal partner with, with, your, with your visual and interaction designers to shape that experience and make sure that it, it meets the customer where they are. Right. A writer with the mindset of a designer, basically. Exactly. I want to speak also about, the, you mentioned it, about candidates. So right now we have listeners that want to work in product teams like Intuit and many others and many other teams. And they can do it. They have all the abilities and skills, but they don't know exactly how to communicate their work with the recruiters. So mm-hmm. what will be your tips for that? One of the things that when communicating with a recruiter really for a UX writing role at any company would be often the most impactful work that a UX writer can do is often results in the fewest words. So it's it's conveying the backstory and the decision-making process and the rationale and the research that went into the work that the recruiter or the hiring team is seeing. So I know that that that's one of the things that for me took a little bit of a, a change in mindset was was not just showing the final product, but also making sure that I'm explaining that the user problem that we were solving to the extent I can showing, you know, kind of the evolution to that final product. It really comes down to, in a lot of cases, making sure that you can articulate how you arrived at that, what testing you did, how you worked with your cross-functional partners to get where you did. Because sometimes, like I said, it's, it comes down to those, you know, those three words on the screen that you tested to death and that went through, you know, mm-hmm a dozen or more revisions to get to that, you know, that can be a challenge for a recruiter or a hiring team to see without that context. Right. Guys, so if you're applying for a UX writing position, don't just show the end result. Don't just show the final product and your final deliverable. Show the process. Show the problem that you're trying to solve. Show different kinds of research method that you used and the process itself and then show the end results and also show the context, which means how many people were in that team and how you will figure out the solution eventually. I would add that to the extent that you can, and this is this seems to be a kind of a universal challenge for, for content designers or UX writers, is the metrics that you achieved after that, you know, the conversion rates or the click-through rates or whatever, whatever metric that you're tracking to, including that as well, that, that always helps quantify your experience. That's a huge insight. Of course, if you have results, like you increase the conversion rate of a page or a service or anything, you definitely need to mention that as well. A lot of people are not privileged to have that yeah. <laughs> insights. <laughs> if it's a freelance project or even if they work in a product team and it's a smaller company. So usually it's really hard to say, okay, so we have that insight and this is because of that. But sometimes you can. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, it, it can, I know that can be challenging for a freelance team, but I know if you're, if you're embedded, that's just, it's a challenge for us as well. And I think a challenge for every UX writer I've met is just kind of making sure that you're, you're building that relationship with your analytics partner to make sure that you're understanding where your work is succeeding or or in some cases not. 
Right, because a lot of people ask me about the ROI of UX writing. The ROI of UX in general. And a few years ago, it, like, it was really hard to, to point it out. But now uh, we have different tools and the tricks to, to understand how the investment in user experience actually increased the use of our product eventually. I have a final question before we are finishing. And I want to ask a little bit about maybe a resources or different kinds of books or websites that you are getting inspiration from. I know that you have a content design dot into it, which is a really great resource. You have your voice and tone style guide and accessibility and capitalization formatting guidelines, which is a great uh, open source resource for everyone. So I, I personally recommend to go and visit it. But except from that, I want to know if there is any other resource that you can recommend. You know, I, I know that just looking over other companies' design systems and style guides and that kind of thing has helped really shape my understanding of the rationale behind these decisions. And I'm, I'm big on understanding the why. What's your favorite style guide? As a former journalist, I'm still somewhat partial to the AP style guide broadly, but you know, the Apple style guide is great. The MailChimp style guide is, is really an excellent one if you've never taken a, taken a look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, that can be informative, especially if you're on a team, a smaller team, and you're helping to shape, you know, to build out your own style guide and your own content standards. That can be, that can be great. Yeah, I just finished reading a book called Portrait of a Manager or of the Manager as a Young Author. So it's on storytelling in in a corporate environment. So it, it doesn't speak to UX writing in general or specifically, but it does speak to to the role of of storytelling in in kind of a corporate environment. So it talks to folks who you know, lead teams of corporate storytellers and how they've used some of the bigger picture storytelling tools to to get their their message across. So I, I I would encourage, you know, anyone looking into getting into UX writing to really look at storytelling broadly. So to look at writing tools and writing resources that bring you to that active storytelling frame of mind. That's cool. So I have an article which is a curation of a lot of uh, great content style guides and I'm going to add it to the show notes to have their, the MailChimp style guide and the Apple style guide so you can see it in the show notes. I want to recommend about another book which is Measure What Matters by John uh, Dwell. Have you heard about it? I have not, no. So the reason I want to recommend about it is because they have an old chapter that was written by the communication director of Intuit. Okay. And and, it is, uh, and in the book, they're talking about how to measure success in large organizations and all of the process of taking into it to the cloud. So uh, I will add a link to that book and the book that you've mentioned in the show notes. Awesome. And thank you so much for being here, Stephen. Thank you. It was nice being here. Nice having you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so that was another episode of Writers in Tech. I hope you had fun and learned tons of new things. So currently, we are releasing two episodes of Writers in Tech every month. We have also a weird break on the Jewish holidays, but we try to release two episodes every month. Now, our goal at the moment is to release a single episode every week. Like we have a weekly newsletter on uxwritinghub.com. With every newsletter that we send, we also want to send an episode of the podcast. But creating a podcast is not a cheap thing and we don't have sponsors so we need your help to reach 100,000 listeners and by the way we are already on our way there 
okay, we're not that far away from there. So in order to do it, we need you to take a few actions. Okay, you can share this episode on social media, like Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook group, Facebook page, Slack channel, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, anything. Okay, so just share it. You can also write a review and rate us on Apple Podcast because I heard it brings a lot of traction. Also, and this is my favorite one, you can send me personally feedback, yuval at uxwritinghub.com about our content, about the episode, how was it for you, what we can improve. And the content will improve based on your feedback and then naturally more people will come. That's what UX is all about, right? That's it for now. Feel free to listen to another episode. Follow our weekly newsletter uxreadinghub.com and see you next time.